So I'm just telling you how I GOC. My name is Janie. I've been going to Northridge for about five years, and this is my fifth Gloria Christmas. So each year I buy more and more tickets. Started with 14. We're up to 25 tickets this year. And I bring people that have never gone. People that have never been to Northridge. People that say, you know, Northridge is too big. It's too scary. I'm going to burn. Hey, no, you won't. They come, and they have so much fun. And then next year they get their own tickets. It's so great. So tell your friends, tell your people to tell people. I'm even telling her. No dogs allowed. So that's how I GOC. Look for my dog on the stage. Next year, Gigi, next year. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome guests, regular attenders. Great to have you here. We're one church that meets in four locations, so welcome to all of you at our regional campuses and those online around the world. Great to have you with us as well. I, I am so impacted personally by this series, Chapter 29. It's out of the book of Acts, and it, it, at, its, at its heart level, it's about how God can write a story of hope in the lives of anyone who's willing to trust him. And that's not just for people who lived back then during the 28 chapters of the book of Acts, but it's for those of us alive today. God wants to write a story of hope in each of our lives. He wants to use us, not just to fill us with light, but to spread his light, and we get to be a part of it. In fact, it's what he's doing right now as he writes chapter 29 through us. And as I was thinking about this week's truth, as it was impacting me personally, it reminded me of, of something that happened to Roxanne and me years ago, Roxanne, my wife, when we were just young parents. We had two children already, uh, Carissa, our oldest, and Blake, and, and Roxanne was then pregnant with our last child, our third child, Allison. She had always had absolutely normal pregnancies. In fact, I, I thought she was just unbelievably skilled at manufacturing little human beings. I mean, she was, she was just great for it. And everything in this pregnancy seemed to be progressing normally as well. And then she went to the doctor for what we thought was going to be a, just another routine checkup. But it turned out to be anything but routine. The doctor told Roxanne that he was deeply concerned about the baby because it appeared to be far too small. In fact, he said that 
that he wasn't sure the baby was growing. And I'll never forget the moment when Roxanne walked through the door because it was just a routine doctor's checkup. I stayed home with Chris and Blake to watch them. And she walked through that door, and I'm telling you, she just started weeping, just weeping. And, you know, like all husbands, I knew exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a horrific moment. Gut-wrenching. As it turned out, the, the doctor was wrong. Now, I know some of you experienced news like this, and it wasn't followed by good news. And because I know the depth of the pain and grief that we experienced in just those moments, that couple of weeks of uncertainty, those of you who didn't have it followed up by good news, I mean, the profound impact of that grief, I, I, can, only, I can only pretend to understand. And I'm so sorry for those of you who have experienced it. My heart breaks for you. But our bad news was followed by good news. Allison was born healthy and, and beautiful. She's, she's now married to an okay guy. And, uh, <laughs> and they, they have a beautiful baby boy of their own named Cohen, who's uh, not even a year old yet. And, and I have to tell you that that experience with Allison is the perfect illustra illustration of, of what happens when something doesn't grow properly. When something that's supposed to grow doesn't grow properly, it, it sucks the hope right out of the circumstance. It sucks the hope right out of life. And that's exactly what happened to Roxanne and I during those, those couple of weeks. Because here's the reality. Hope doesn't exist where there's no growth. It just doesn't exist there. And here's the truth that I want you to see that kind of for me has been just so impacting out of the book of Acts. The truth is that hope requires growth. Hope requires growth. If, if growth's not happening, then hope's not happening. If growth's not flourishing, then hope's not flourishing. And, and here's what we need to know. This is extremely relevant to us. The story of Christianity is the story of hope. But the only way the story of Christianity has been the story of hope is because Christianity is all about growth. Not growth for a season, but growth for a lifetime. The book of Acts in chapters 1 through 28 is all about growth. And that's why hope flourished. It flourished in the community of believers back then, and it flourished in the world back then because they were growing. And if chapter 29 is going to be a story of hope for us and for our world, it's got to be a story of growth. And what I found in, in the pinnacle passage of Acts, it's Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, it literally lays the foundation for how each story and each chapter is going to unfold, how God wants his story to be written. We we find nothing but growth, and thus hope flourishes. And I thought I'd just walk you through it so you could see that this is what can be and should be happening in us. First thing I see is God tells us very clearly that they grew in numbers. 
They grew in numbers. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And it kept happening, you know, it kept multiplying and multiplying. They were growing in numbers. And hey, here, here's what I want you to know. If, if there are just a couple of people who are believing a wild and fanciful tale about a, a guy who loved them so much, who was God and created and came to earth and took on human form to fulfill the promises that were made thousands of years ago and, and then, though dead, rose again to give new life. If there are just a couple of fanciful people who believe that, not a lot of hope is flourishing in that. But it wasn't just a couple. It just, it was grabbed on by more and more and more. And it, it, its truth became known by more and more and more. And so they grew in numbers. And because of that growth, hope flourished in more people's lives. And hope flourished more and more in the world. And ultimately, it reached a tipping point to where Hope overcame the despair and darkness of even the Roman Empire. Hope requires growth. It didn't stop there. It goes on. They grew in truth. And this is important because we live in a world of deception. And that world back then under the Roman Empire was a world living in deception and its delusion which produces nothing but darkness. Momentary senses of hope that lead to greater and greater moments of despair because they prove to be false. But these people... They were growing in truth, experiencing more and more of God's truth and freedom. And so this growth allowed hope to flourish. Look at Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, they just grew more and more in truth. They grew in love as well. They grew in love for God and they grew in love for others. And if you think about it, this is the whole point of life. In fact, God says everything in life will ultimately be experienced appropriately when we love God with all of our hearts and we love others. And they were growing in these kinds of love. Acts 2.42, the end says they devoted themselves to fellowship. That's to, to loving community, loving relationships. And it was both vertical and horizontal, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's basically saying, because the passage tells us they got in each other's homes and they couldn't get enough of each other. They loved each other and they were growing and devoted to the community, the love relationships they were building. And they broke bread in their homes. They ate together. They ate together. But it didn't stop there. They also were devoted to the fellowship through prayer. And what is prayer? Prayer is not a bunch of liturgical sayings written by people long ago that we're supposed to be repeating today. No. Prayer is having a real, live, on-time conversation with God. And they were devoted to it. So they were growing in their love for God and their conversation with him and growing in their love for each other. And what happens when people are growing in the very thing that makes up the essence of life? They, they experience hope and hope flourishes. It didn't stop there. They, they grew in power. And it only makes sense if you, if you genuinely have a relationship with God that, that you'll be experiencing and being impacted by things that are beyond human capacity. And that's what happened to them. Look at Acts 2.43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And some of theirs were very physical in nature, but physical is not the greatest miracle. Those are temporal. The spiritual are the more, the more impacting miracles, if you think about it, going from hate to love, going from conflict to peace, going from sadness to joy, from despair to hope. And, and that was going on because, though outside of our ability, God can make it so. In a world of despair, we can have hope because of God. They grew 
in their relationship with him. They, they also grew in generosity, if you read the passage. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They had personal property, but they sold it. They had personal possessions, but they chose to sell it so they could be generous with others, so they could give to others who had need. They, they grew in generosity. And what happens in a world of selfishness where everyone's taking from one another and everybody's climbing on each other's back to get ahead, to, to benefit themselves, what happens when some people grow in generosity and they're about helping others? What happens is that growth produces hope and hope begins to flourish and the story begins to change and that's exactly what happened here. Hope requires growth. But not only that, they grew in involvement. They, they really wanted to be involved. Most people want to be spectators, but, but when you're really growing, you want to be involved. Acts 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. I mean, they were involved. They also, we find, grew in joy. This is what people are looking for in our world, right? I mean, people are so desperate for joy, they're trying to find it in new cars and new houses. Look at I'm old enough to know that those things are going to produce agony. You know what new cars do? Break down. You know what houses demand? Work. <laughs> but they grew in real joy. Not joy that was based upon circumstances and good things happening, but joy that was based upon the fact that the good God lived in them, even a world that was breaking down around them. And, and when you grow in joy in a world without joy, you, you write a story of hope. Acts 2.46, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad, joyful, and sincere hearts. They grew in worship. I mean, they became known as people, Acts 2.47, who were praising God. These were the people of praise. We, these were the people of worship. And it wasn't manufactured. It wasn't like they showed up in, in a context of community with other people and then they said God stuff, you know. And then they went out in the real world and they hid all the God stuff. They became people known for putting God as Lord over their lives, people of worship. They were praising God. And the second part of Acts 2.47 says they were enjoying the favor of all the people. They grew in reputation. Isn't it interesting? They were so authentic and so genuine. They, they weren't just talking a talk. They were literally living the life. And as a result, people were impacted by that. They, they grew in reputation. And... Finally, they grew in impact. They literally started changing their world. Acts 2.47 at the end says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day, new people were being transformed by the hope of Jesus. But do you see it? Hope really does require growth. Just like we experienced during Roxanne's pregnancy with Allie, when the idea of growth is taken away from you, hope is taken away from you. But when you really are experiencing growth, hope is alive and hope is well. And I'm going to tell you, I, I'm seeing in Christianity in general a hopelessness and a despair about things in this world and about things that are going on. And it shouldn't be. And it's simply, it's simply evidence that we're not growing because when we're growing, we're filled with hope. It flourishes. It rewrites our story, and then we rewrite, rewrite the story of other people's lives. And since this is so important, I find it to be a huge problem 
when you look out at the landscape of reality and you look within to the landscape of your own reality, I know I do this with myself, and realize that many of us aren't growing. In fact, here's the problem I want you to see. Many, even many who claim the hope of Jesus, don't grow. They remain the same. They remain stagnant. Many who call themselves Christians, who are associated with Jesus and his church, don't grow spiritually, and this happened then and it happens today. And I know it happens with me, and I know it happens with you, seasons where we're not growing at all, and that's when hope diminishes and joy diminishes, and our story becomes more like people without Jesus than people with Jesus. It happened back then. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. The writer, inspired by God, says, in fact... Though by this time you ought to be teachers. What he's saying is you've, you've heard so much truth. You've experienced so much truth that you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He's saying you, you should be able to teach the deep philosophies about God and his truth, but you don't even know the ABCs anymore. You've got to relearn it. You're not growing. You... You need milk, not solid food. You have to go back to the cradle because you're no longer a functioning, grown-up, spiritual adult. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, isn't acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. You, can't, you, you might hear teaching about God's righteousness, but you won't understand it to its depth. But solid food, he says, is for the mature, for the people who are growing, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That last phrase is really important, who by constant use, who by constant use, do you realize that faith is not learned by taking it in and doing nothing with it? They had heard all the truth. They had been taught much of the truth, but they weren't using the truth. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear and practice my truth because they'll be on a solid foundation, but those who hear my truth and don't practice it will be in quicksand. They will have no foundation. And that's exactly what goes on here. When, what we have to understand is life is best reflected by breathing in and breathing out. If someone's not breathing out, they're no longer breathing. They're no longer living. And the same thing is true with faith. It's not enough to live in his truth. We have to live it out. It's not enough to live in his love. We have to live it out or there's no growth and there's no life. And many who claim Christ, many of us, don't grow or aren't growing. And here's the sad reality. Many have grown in the past but aren't growing in the present. And this is my issue. I, look, at, I, can't, I can't deny and no one who's known me in my past, they can't deny that I've... I've changed. My story has changed. I've grown. There are times in my past I have grown in amazing ways, but that's not really the question. The question is, am I growing now? Did you know God's not a past tense God? He's a present tense God. Did you know God's not wanting you to be the curator of the museum of your life about what he once did in you, but he's wanting you to be a reflection of the great work he's doing now in you. And yet, you know, when I talk to most people about their relationship with God, here's what they do. They say, 
Yeah, I have a relationship with God. 20 years ago this, and five years ago that, and God once did this for me, and God did that for me, and I was baptized as a child, and I was catechism, and I had first communion. And, I, and their story about God is all past tense, but if your story about God is past tense, that means your growth is past tense, which means your hope is past tense. And let me tell you something about hope. Hope is not in the past. Hope is in the future, and the only way you get there is by growing today. Are you growing today? You see, hope requires growth. It really does. And so I want to give an application that I, I know it's gripping me, and I hope it'll grip you. In chapter 29, in this chapter that God's wanting to write hope into our lives, if we're going to experience the fullness of God's hope like they did in chapters 1 through 28 of the book of Acts, here's what we have to do. We have to keep growing. We have to keep growing. It's not good enough to say, I once grew, I once changed. We have to keep growing. Look at 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you notice the structure of what God's telling us there, but it's a command. Grow. And if he commands us to grow in grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ, you know what that means, right? This growth is something that we own. This growth is something that we can control. He's telling us to grow, and if we don't grow, we're not obeying. We're not taking control of that which we have control over. And this is where physical growth separates itself from spiritual growth a little bit because, you know, we had no control over whether our kids grew or not when they were younger. In fact, I don't know about you, but our kids went through growth spurts. It's like, you know, we had to buy like the new shoes every three minutes sometimes. It was like, and then there were times they didn't grow very tall, right, And at times. And, but spiritually, growth and growth spurts are not out of our control. They're in our control. And the reason we don't grow is because we are not making the choice to grow, which means when we are not writing and experiencing a story of hope, it's on us. We need to grow, and we can and boy, when I started understanding this, I started going, okay, how can I know if I'm growing or not? Because I don't want the story to be a story of hope. I want, I want hope to flourish in my life. And so what's it look like? And here's what I find reading through the book of Acts. Growth always leads to positive change. Growth always leads, spiritual growth, it leads to positive change. I didn't say it leads to positive circumstances. Because often... Spiritual growth doesn't lead to positive circumstances. Ask Jesus when the nails were going in. But it always leads to positive change. Look at Acts 19. It's interesting. Back then, um, the dark arts were very, very popular. People were so lost in deception that they lived out, you know, lives of sorcery and stuff. And look at a story about some of them. Acts 19, verse 18 through 20. Many of those who believed in Jesus now came out openly and confessed what they had done, what they had been in the past. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. I mean, this is like they brought their dark arts books, you know, their book of incantations together, and they burnt them, they destroyed them. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls that they burnt, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And we don't know exactly how much that is. We know it was a lot because it's dealing with silver, some of silver coin or silver form of money and 50,000 it was a lot and, and what they did is they said everything we used to live for and cherish 
we're going to burn. We no longer want the treasure of that. We no longer want the product of that because Jesus has filled us with a new treasure, with a new hope. We're no longer people of darkness. We're people of light. And you see, that was a huge positive change in their life. And as a result, it says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Of course it did. When people's lives were being changed from darkness to light, from hatred to love, from meaningless to meaning, people go, I want some of that. And that's exactly what was going on. The story of hope is a story of growth. And when it's growing, it flourishes. And when we're growing in God's truth and love, the changes in us are obvious. I mean, those times when I'm truly growing spiritually, the, the changes are obvious. I, I go from no signs of God in my life to having God all over me, and there's just no way to hide it. And so here's the question I have for you. Are you experiencing positive change in your life these days? Is God all over you, or is he pretty easy to hide? Because if you're growing, you can't hide it. When our kids grew, you, they couldn't hide it. They outgrew yesterday's clothing. Some of us are still wearing the same spiritual garments we've been wearing for years because we're not growing. No wonder we don't have hope. Another thing I find is that growth protects us from deception. It really does. It protects us from deception. You need to know, we live in a world of deception. Lies abound, lies rules. What culture's telling us is true is not necessarily true. It's deception. And Satan, the evil one, uses deception to stunt our growth, to keep us from growing because believing lies doesn't grow us, but truth does. Look at one example of it in Acts 20, verses 29 through 31. Paul gathered together all the pastors from the church of Ephesus and and he was talking to them, and he says, I know that after I leave, he was getting ready to leave, never to see them again. I know after I leave, he says, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. I mean, like a wolf destroys a sheep, a lamb, so will spiritual so-called leaders come in and destroy God's people. And he even said, from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples from after them. They'll build their own kingdom instead of God's kingdom. So he says, be on your guard and how were they supposed to be on their guard? He then tells them, remember that for three years after, uh, before this, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. I, I just kept telling you the truth so you would be able to know deception. And, and I want you to realize that when we focus on truth, it's easy to recognize the counterfeits. When we focus on truth, we... We can't be deceived as easily, but when we don't, we can be easily. And, and here's what I know. I, I believe most believers are, are living in a bit of deception. We're mixing the culture's view of God and Jesus and truth with the Bible, and it doesn't have power to it. We're, we're, we're mixing the Bible's view of values with the culture's view of values and we're trying to rationalize it and make it work somehow and all it does is it waters it down to nothing. But when you really know the truth, it protects you from deception. There's another aspect of growth that's important. Growth 
results in something that we all long for, God's pleasure. And you might not know you long for it, but you do. I, I know I do, because you have to realize we come from God. He's our Father, and even those of us who haven't recognized that yet, we have this built-in longing to experience the pleasure of the one who created us. I mean, we can know this in our, in our human experience. I mean, all of us have a biological father, but not all of us know that biological father, and not all of us who know our biological father have a, have a father that ever expressed any kind of positive pleasure towards us. And that's something that you, you have a hard time replacing, so many of us are still seeking you know, the father's pleasure by doing all kinds of crappy stuff in our lives, right? What young girls do and what young guys do to try and find acceptance when they didn't have it in their home is horrible. And I know what it's like not to experience the human father's pleasure for a time. I, my dad ultimately became an unbelievable father and dad, but in the early days of our family, he was a great father, but not a great dad. And you need to understand the difference. Father is a role, dad is a relationship. And he grew up in a horrifically dysfunctional home. He had no idea how to have a relationship with a kid, let alone another person. And, but he wanted it, and he had a lot of character. And so he looked at other people who were doing it right, and he just then tried to play the role of father well, and he did, but he didn't know how to build the relationship with him. So he didn't have that personal connection, at least I didn't, with him. When I was about 35 years old, I was already pastor of this church. It was in a very different place in a very different circumstance, just the beginning of what God's doing today. And, but my dad came to one of the church services there. And I'm, I'm mid-30s, right, at the time. And, and uh, things were going pretty well. Had all my kids and had a wife who loved me. And at least she said she did. But at any rate, uh, you know, we were in this circumstance. And we went out to eat after the service. And my dad looked at me, and I'll never forget this as long as I live and have my mind. He looked at me and he said, you'll never know how proud I am of you. Now, I'm going to tell you, 35-year-old man, and it broke me. I, I had never heard that from him before, and he was growing, and it marked me. To this day, I can't even say it or think about it without getting emotion to it. Why? Because we all long for the pleasure of our Father. But that's just symbolic of how much we long for the pleasure of God the Father. And you know, when our Father is pleased with us, it's when we're growing. Look at what he write, encourages Paul to write in 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 4. We, all, we ought always to thank God for you. He's writing to these believers at the church of Thessalonica. And he goes, we ought always to thank God for you. Be grateful for you, brothers and sisters. And rightly so, because... Because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is, is increasing. It's growing more and more and more. And the circumstances were bad around them, but they were, they were growing and it was cause to be grateful. And then look what he says. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and your faith, even in all the persecutions and trials that you're enduring, even though circumstances around you are falling apart, you're still growing and hope is flourishing and we're bragging about you, but who's inspiring these words? It's God that's inspiring them, which means this is how God felt about them. God was bragging about them looking them in the eye and saying, you'll never know how proud I am of you. And here's what I ask myself at times. 
is God bragging about me today? And I'm wondering about you. Is God bragging about you today? It's only happening if you're growing. Because, see, hope requires growth. Which then made me do a search. Okay, what has to be in my life if I'm going to grow? And I, I'm, I'm just begging you to make application here because I know you're looking for hope. I know you're longing for it. You have control over whether you grow or not, but, but seize control. I found that growth requires hunger. You've got to want to grow. You've got to want it. This is physically, it's like, you know, you, you grow. But spiritually, you have to want it. Look at 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We, we've got to be hungry to grow. And if we're not, we won't. I don't know many seasons in my life where I have been as hungry for God and his word as a baby is for milk. No wonder we don't grow like we should. Growth requires hunger for the teaching of God's word, for time with God. Are you experiencing hunger? If not, you need to get it because that's what it takes to grow. And then I find that growth requires work. I mean hard work. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best. Work hard at it. So that you're a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. He's saying, look, at if you're going to grow in a way that brings God pleasure, it takes work. Acts 2.42 says they were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted. They worked at getting to it and getting at it. 1 Corinthians 9 Paul talks about how if we're going to grow spiritually, it takes the same kind of work and discipline that's required to become a successful Olympic athlete. It takes work. Here's what I know. It doesn't happen without work. I, I'm, a, I'm a member of um, Lifetime Fitness Center, and I know it doesn't show, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> But I, I'm a member of Lifetime Fitness, and I, I really, I, I'm really committed to going once or twice a year, and so I, I really try and go. <laughs> but when I go into Lifetime, they have all these pictures of these people, and they, it's like I didn't even know the human body could look like that. You know, it's like, like they've got like muscles right here. It's crazy. Did you know that people have muscles here? But the only way you are able to achieve that physically is with work, which means I will never be shirtless in front of you. I'm just telling you right now, I'm not, not willing to do that kind of work, but hopefully spiritually I'll be a bit different. It takes work to be spiritually fit. Growth requires devotion to spiritual disciplines, and I'm going to tell you, I don't care who you are or how long you've been in the faith, it takes work to keep growing, and if you're not doing the work, you're not growing. And I know this personally. Look, I've been a Christian for four decades plus, and, and I've been a pastor for three and a half decades. And yet I go through these seasons where I'm not growing. And it's because I'm not doing the work. One of them was this last year, coming into summer, of this year, 
I just realized I was getting flabby spiritually. I just, you know, my passion wasn't growing. My hope wasn't growing. My life wasn't growing. I just, I was just, you know, existing. And so I, I changed it up this summer. I decided I was going to, I was going to work hard at my faith. And I gave up all kinds of things that I had been doing. They weren't bad things, but all kinds of things I had been doing so that I could fill my life with more things that would help me know God more and his truth more. And I'm going to tell you, this summer changed me because I went from not doing the work to doing the work. Are you doing the work? I also find that growth requires sacrifice. We have to make sacrifices. I had to say no to some things so I could say yes to more of the right things. Look at Romans 12.1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We have to make sacrifices if we're going to grow. The Lord's Prayer teaches us this. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. I have to sacrifice what I want for what you want if I'm going to experience your fullness and your hope. Are you making any sacrifices to grow? Most people want it on the cheap. It doesn't come on the cheap. A growth requires commitment. I mean commitment. Look at Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. We have to... We have to hang in. We have to be committed to continuing to pursue God, to love God, to sacrifice for God, to do the work of knowing God for at the proper time. If we stay committed, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. And by the way, wow, if we stay in it, we'll reap a harvest. What is that? Hope. If I keep committed, if I stay committed, if I keep sacrificing, if I keep working, if I keep moving towards this thing and keep owning my growth this way, well, I can know that he's going to reward that. That's hope. You know what I found? More often than not, I don't have that hope. I don't think he's going to reward me. I think he's going to judge me. You know what I found out about most of us? Most of us aren't looking forward to seeing Jesus. We're kind of afraid of it. Why? Because we're not growing. We have to be committed. This summer, I was so committed that, that I gave up a bunch so I could do other things, and I stayed in it, and I grew as a result. Let me ask you, what are you giving up? How committed are you? And if not, why don't you make a commitment to do whatever it takes to grow so that you can flourish in hope? And finally, it takes faith. Faith, and I want to show it to you. For even for those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, it takes faith that's growing. Look at Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. How, how do we receive Jesus? By faith. How are we supposed to live in Jesus? By faith. And what happens when we live and grow in faith? We become rooted and built up. In other words, we grow deeper and we grow larger in him. And our faith grows. It's strengthened just as we've been taught. And, and as we grow deeper in our faith inwardly, look what it says. You'll be overflowing with thankfulness outwardly. In other words, as you live in faith, you live out faith. As you live in. If you're overflowing with faith, you can't hide that. So how are we so invisible in this world? It's because we're not growing at all. It takes faith. And here's where I have to kind of make a little bit of departure. 
Because if we're going to live in faith and live out faith, if we're going to keep growing in truth and love and power and generosity and worship and reputation and impact, if we're going to keep growing, it takes faith. And faith is the one thing that we can't control. Did you know that? I can control if I'm sacrificing. I can control if I'm doing the work. I can control if I'm committed. I can control all those things. I can't control faith. You know why? Because faith isn't something I can produce. Faith is something God has to give me. And there are so many of us working so hard to find faith and we're not finding it because faith is something that he has to give us. And it goes back to human life. Do you know before I could worry about my daughter Allison growing or not growing as my daughter? She had to be conceived. She had to be alive. A gift of life I couldn't control. But once my child, then I worry about her growth and her lack of it. Do you realize that until you're God's child, you cannot grow as his child, and to be his child requires him giving you the gift of faith. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. It's not by works so that no one can boast. What's, what's the gift? His grace that saves us. What's the gift? The faith for us to believe. What's the gift? The salvation that comes from his gift of faith and grace. It's, it's all from him. I, I, I don't do it on my own. And so it's kind of like a two-part gig where we first receive faith from him. And then in that faith, we do the work of growing in that faith. And so all of us need God to grow our faith. Is he in you? Now I have, a, I have something that I want to do to end this service which is important to all of us that I hope that you'll connect with. But before we get there, I want to give you a chance to act upon this talk. And so I'm going to ask you if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment. If you'd bow with me just for a moment in a word of prayer. And if you're a believer already, I, I bet you that you've been challenged by this idea of growth. And I just want to encourage you, talk to God about it. Talk to God about your level of discipline, your level of work, your level of sacrifice, your level of commitment, and just commit to growing in your faith. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, let him put faith in you. Pray with me right now. Take my words and make them your words to God quietly in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I... I just pray that you'd fill me with the faith to make you Lord. I acknowledge that I've sinned against you, I'm guilty, I'm separated from you, and I need your hope. So right now, by faith, I'm believing that your death on the cross can forgive my sin and guilt, and that your resurrection can give me brand new life. And I'll thank you for that hope, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just before I share with you this last and final thought to the talk, um, if you prayed with me, I just want to encourage you, let, let us know, not for us, but for you. I've put together a letter about next steps that you can take in your journey of faith with God, but to get the letter to you, we have to know you prayed, and so we give you this connection card inside the program that we handed you, and 
All you have to do is fill it out. A couple of questions at the bottom that help us get you the right letter. And there are boxes at every single exit of all of our campus auditoriums. Throw it in there and we'll, do, we'll send you that letter. But if you're watching online, hit the What Next button. We'll do the same thing for you. All right. Oh, one last thing. Every single week at all of our campuses, we have a prayer team that comes up front after the service is over. And we don't make a big deal out of it. We don't sing songs and try and get you up here. But if you want someone to talk to or to pray with you or to pray for you, I encourage you at all of our campus settings, just come forward and let the, after the service is over and, and let the prayer team kind of be an encouragement to you. Now, we've been speaking in this talk about growing spiritually, right? Living in faith. And um, that has real world application to it. It really does. And I want to give you an example. I, it's just, I, I'm just, I'm marveling sometimes at me, but often at Christianity in general in its response to our, our world these days. It's just weird how, how much despair and how much sadness and how much fear and how much trepidation we have about where our country's going and where our world's going and what's going to happen and would we rather live in Africa than here? And all, I mean, it's crazy the amount of hopelessness that's being entertained by the people who are the story of God's hope. And it just boggles my mind. And so as your pastor, I, I want to offer a word of encouragement as we go into this presidential election week. I know that elections matter. They do matter. And I know that however this election turns out, some of you are going to be thrilled and some of you are going to be depressed and the ultimate direction of our country will be affected because elections matter. And a lot of people wonder, why don't you kind of tell people what they should be doing politically? Why don't you do this? Why don't you talk more about it? I'll tell you why. It's because presidents come and go it's because there's hate on both sides and there are good values on both sides and there, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff and there's no absolute right or wrong. There's no white-horsed messiah running for president in our world. And, but they, there is a messiah on a white horse in this world and his name is Jesus. And you see, the minute I declare as right a political side and wrong another political side, I no longer can speak Jesus to the side that feels betrayed by that, and I want to speak Jesus to everyone of every political spectrum, because that's where hope comes from. And so, I just want you to know, and I want you to remember that above all of the stuff that's happening, and the fact that elections matter and all that different stuff, I want you to remember that God is in control. And we can't always understand what God is doing, but we can always know that he knows what he's doing and what he's choosing to do is good and right. And what we should do is we should do the best we can at exercising our rights as citizens to affect the changes or the lack of changes we want, and we should work hard, but in the end, because we can't control it any more than we can control the growth of our children, 
We just have to trust him. And when we live in trust, you know what happens? Whether it leads to persecution or glory, whatever happens when our faith is increasing and our love is increasing, you know what happens? God's proud of us and God is pleased and God brags. And more than anything, we have hope. And so if we're trusting God right now, no matter what happens, we have hope. And so I just thought the perfect way for us to end this service is by reciting together the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I'm going to ask you as I pray this prayer, I'm going to encourage you to pray it with me out loud, but let's not make it just a bunch of words. Let's make it the expression of our trust in God, which leads to hope. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want you to remember, yeah, you can give them a hand, sure. I, I really want you to remember this. Those words are true right now, and those words will be true on Wednesday. And if we will keep trusting that God is in control, no matter what is happening in our world, hope will flourish. And when hope flourish, flourishes, the world is never the same. Let us be people that forever change this world for hope. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.